Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here. We have a special guest today. We have Robbie Crabtree, who's worked as an attorney over 100 high-profile cases, along with teaching persuasive speaking at Southern Methodist University Law School. He also coaches students to compete nationally in speech competitions. He's worked with leaders at Apple, Google, Microsoft, and Reddit to develop their speaking ability. Robbie, welcome. Kurt, this is amazing. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's good to have you. We're talking about some great stuff, how people can be more persuasive, more influential. we got to start off with the question of the day. Robbie, what is the worst vegetable on the planet and why? It is 100% iceberg lettuce. <laughs> and it is not even close. I remember growing up, I hated it so much that I would go to like Taco Bell and get a quesadilla. And there'd be one little piece of iceberg lettuce in it. I would, I would find it every single time. I don't know why at Taco Bell, they were unable to keep the lettuce out of my cheese quesadilla. And it just drove me absolutely nuts. It, it just, to me, iceberg lettuce is a waste of, of space. It's, it has no <laughs> flavor. The texture is weird. It's cold. Like it's not even refreshing cold though. It is just awful. And I will stand on that statement all day long. <laughs> so iceberg lettuce, even if a little ranch doesn't fix a little lettuce? Nothing, nothing can <laughs> fix iceberg lettuce. All right. That's a new one on the show. Iceberg lettuce. I, I can handle with a little ranch, but you know, we'll take it. Iceberg lettuce is the worst vegetable. Is it a vegetable? Vegetable on the planet. Yeah, I guess it would be. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about some things for our listeners that really help us out as we get into you know presentation skills and be, becoming a better communicator. Well, let's just start off this. What do you think is the biggest blunder people make when they speak? I mean, the biggest blunder is thinking that it's it's all about yourself and just thinking that if, if I put, put out what I want to put out there, that it's going to connect with my audience. And most people aren't at the level of a speaker where they can just instinctively connect with their audience. So when they think it's about them, it ends up only being about them, which means you don't actually create that magnetism that you want to attract people to you. I like that. So magnetism, connect with the audience, being audience centered. So what can people do to connect more with their audience? Is it the mindset issue? Is it a fear issue? It can, it can honestly be both. But the first part is when we're thinking about speaking, we always have to be thinking about what is my audience there for? What do they want to get out of it? Right? People are selfish. People want some reason to listen to you. And if you don't deliver it to them, then then you're doing no good. So it could be they want to be entertained. They want to learn something. They want to be sold something. They want to better their lives. They want to get some sort of value. Figure that out first. And then you can start thinking through how do I actually want to present my message in a way that actually connects with my audience. So let's talk about connect with the audience. What are some big things someone could do to connect with their audience? These are things where, one, we want to use their own language. That's a, that's a big part. I love telling people, you know, I'm from Texas, so I use the word y'all a lot when I'm speaking in Texas, but I'm also completely able to remove that term from my vocabulary when needed. So if I'm speaking on the West Coast, East Coast, Midwest, wherever it is, I'm not using y'all nearly as much or at all because I need to speak the language of my audience. If I'm speaking to tech community, I need to speak the tech language. If I'm speaking to lawyers, I need to speak lawyer language. If I'm speaking to executives, I need to speak executive language, salesman, sales language. 
And if we start thinking about that, that's one way to create that connection because all of a sudden it signals to your audience that, hey, they're one of us. The other thing that you always want to do is this is where we get into the more tactics of a speaker is how do we play around with rhythm and pacing and volume and pitch? How do we use pauses? How do we use, you know, some of these structuring elements that we have when we're delivering any sort of talk to stack principles on one another? There's so many things that we're looking at when it comes to the tactical delivery to create emotion and essentially to make it sound like music. I love to say when somebody speaks really beautifully, they make it sing. Singing the song or you're singing the words. And I mean, the audience can really sense that becoming magnetic, like you mentioned, but let's talk about the one thing, fear. I mean, that's everyone thinks about with public speaking fear. What are some uh, ways you've seen to address? It's one of the number one fears out there, fear of public speaking. How do we address that and get over it? Yeah. So many people fear, fear speaking. And, and that's such a shame because we need, we need it more than ever in this world where we're on meetings for zoom. So we don't have those water cooler talks. We're not building that rapport with people oftentimes over long periods of interactions. We're getting on clubhouse and seeing the rise of these social speaking apps. And so speaking is more important than ever. And, and how do we get over the fear of public speaking? And, and simply put, there's a couple ways to do that. One, we've got to reframe how we think about it. And so I love to use the example of a, let's say basketball player, right? Last second shot, it, they're down a point and there's five seconds left. Someone's got to shoot, take the last shot. Three of the players on the court are going to want nothing to do with it because all they see is a chance to fail. They feel nervous in that moment. One or two of the players on the court is going to change that and say, I feel excited and they're going to see the reward. It's the exact same situation, but the people just identify it differently. So really what we're talking about more thinking through fear is you're actually just feeling energy and then we give it a name and you can give it a name of nervousness or you can give it a name of excitement. And once we start giving it that name of excitement, one that starts to trigger in a, a, a mindset shift inside of us as speakers where we say, ah, oh, we don't need to fear this as much. Now, the second thing that you can do is I love there's an exercise that I call fear setting. And it was actually taken from Tim Ferriss. He kind of does this when it comes to building businesses, but you can do it as a speaker as well. And you essentially turn your camera on and you record yourself as you describe your very, very worst fear in brutal detail. Like it should hurt to talk it all out. And then you watch it back. And the reason you do this is when you watch it back, one of two things happens. Either you realize how absolutely ridiculous it is and that it's never going to happen. So you've now identified what your worst fear is because people actually fear the unknown far more than they fear the actual worst case scenario. And the second thing that happens is if it is a real thing that could happen, you now know how to prevent it. You now know how to put in steps to make sure that doesn't, doesn't actually occur. So just by doing this exercise, you either one, realize it's ridiculous or two, you build up the wherewithal to say, here's how I address this. So it doesn't happen in the future. And you've automatically moved up the floor of your speaking ability just by identifying this. Oh, I love it. So put in a different perspective, overcoming that fear, fear into an excitement. Great advice. You've also mentioned the word earlier, magnetic. I think everyone wants to be more charismatic, more magnetic to their audience. What are some of the things speakers can do, new speakers to be more magnetic to their audience? Yeah, it's it's so important. I love I, I love pop culture, and I love to to use the the saying like you basically want to create your bat signal where you send it up, and people are drawn to it in a lot of ways, or like a lighthouse, moss to the light, all that sort of stuff. That's really what you're looking for when you're a speaker, right? You want to command the room. You want to have that charm. You you want to be James Bond in, inside of the room. You want everybody coming to you and say, "Man, I, I want more of that person." How do we do that? I mean, we do that by speaking in a way that's very warm and has tons of presence. And, and a lot of this just comes down to knowing that when you're speaking, you're in control. And if we demonstrate control, and here's, here's the crazy thing, 
Nobody knows if you don't know what you're talking about unless you tell them generally. Most people that you're speaking to, if you act like you're confident, they're going to take that confidence as competence. And when you're competent to them, all of a sudden that starts to attract them to you. And other ways to do this are simple things like smile, use your body language in ways that are open and embracing and warm to your audience. Use your hands. You know, these are very simple ways of connecting with your audience and showing them like, hey, you you want to spend more time with me. It's, it's essentially this, what energy we give out to our audience and what vibe we create in that room is really what they feel and are drawn towards. So if we walk into a room and somebody asks us, how are you doing today? And we say, eh, it's it, like, it, it's fine. No one's going to be drawn to me if I go into that room and say that. But if, if I come into a room and someone says, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. It is a great day to be here. I can't wait to talk with everybody here today. That's a entirely different way of approaching your audience and creates that magnetism very easily just because you are willing that into existence. Even if you're feeling terrible, you could be like, I mean, I had COVID back in November and felt terrible and I was still speaking regularly and nobody knew that I had anything wrong with me because you can will it into existence and completely push through that. Just like Michael Jordan did in that classic flu game. A uh, good example. So the presence, the energy, it's critical, but let me ask you this, throw you a fair loop here. What is the worst mistake you've made on the stage? Yeah, the, the, the worst mistake I ever made was, and it was early on in my, my legal career, and I lost a case that I should have won. And, and I lost it purely because I thought just by giving facts and evidence to my, to my jury that they would go with me. It was, it was clear cut. Like I, I essentially just completely took for, for advantage or took, you know, just didn't even think about the ramifications that would happen if I didn't connect with them on a deeper level. So I just got up there and I kind of like delivered, hey, here's the facts boom, boom, boom. Like, this is why he's guilty. There's no doubt about it. Like, even they knew that. They, they knew that he was guilty. And I found this out later because when they came back and gave him a not guilty verdict, they actually were talking to the defendant afterwards and told him, hey, we know that you were guilty. We know that you know you were guilty, but we gave you a break because you seem like you were sincere in wanting to do better moving forward. And that was that moment that I realized, oh, just being like really cold and clinical and giving the facts and the evidence and logic and reason, that's not what, what actually moves people. I'm not going to get any sort of results because at the end of the day, the purpose of speaking is to move your audience to some sort of action. And I had failed in that regard because I took, you know, I, I took it for, for, you know, granted that I could just deliver the facts and they would do what I wanted to. But that was, that was a moment that really changed the way that I approached speaking. So there's always that delicate balance with the jury or anybody you're trying to persuade with emotion and logic. So what works for you as a, a lawyer, just as a persuader in general, to balance the logic and emotion? What is the best way to trigger the emotions in a jury or someone you're trying to persuade? Yeah, th that's the interesting thing is people tend to think it's one or the other. They're like, well, you just have to be all emotion or you just have to be all content. And the truth is you need to do both. You essentially need the emotion to create that that drive for your audience, that passion where it's going to lead them to actually take some sort of action. But you still need to give them content because with the content and kind of that meat of everything that you're providing, that gives them the cover, that gives them the, the rationalization to back up the emotional decision that they're going to make. So you have to be able to blend that together. How do you do that, right? Those are things like, how do we structure a speech? How do we make sure that we're giving them enough content in there, but also hooking them with big dramatic moments? And so this is where we really start thinking about, you know, frameworks and, and how we approach speaking. So I love things like hooks, themes, and dismounts. I think that those are incredibly important as a speaker. A hook, right, is that opening piece that really grabs their attention. The theme is that North Star. It's the thing that if I were to ask him, what's the one thing that you took away from this, 
this talk, that's what they remember. So classic example is I have a dream from Martin Luther King Jr. People know what that speech is about purely because they know that theme of I have a dream. And then the dismount is the way we end it. And if we think about it, like a gymnast, when they do their routine, if they fall off the bars at the very end, no matter how perfect their routine was, they've blown it. They've lost that, that, that entire round, that entire event. So I think of those in terms of that's how I can create emotion and also give myself a framework to fill in all of my content around that because that hook, dis, that hook theme and dismount give me those emotional kind of parts of my speech. But then essentially what I'm doing is creating all my content to point back towards those things so that I'm delivering on both of those accounts. I like the theme. You're building the structure of this persuasive presentation. Are there any tips as far as a, the perfect structure? Does it depend on your audience? What, what do you recommend for people that want to structure a persuasive presentation? There's unfortunately no perfect structure because sometimes you're going to want to, sometimes, for example, I love doing things where if there's like an objectionable point or something that you're bringing up that's going to be controversial, sometimes you can layer that in at the end and you're essentially creating this kind of buildup to it where you're buying credibility and likability from your audience in the early stages of that speech. And then you kind of drop that big moment on them, but now they're kind of keyed up for it and, and seated. You've kind of planted it in them. So they'll listen to you. But then there's other times where you may want to put something that's more controversial in the middle and bury it, right? Let's say the first example I gave, you're trying to convince them of the controversial opinion. In the second example, you're trying to essentially bury that kind of like bad fact, that controversial part of it and move on. So you're kind of sandwiching it, right? So you're putting strongest point, weakest point, strongest point so that they remember the first and last thing because humans are victims of primacy and recency. We, we remember the first thing we heard and the most recent thing we heard. Those are the two strongest moments. So if we think about that, if you have kind of that weak point, you'd put in the middle. So when we're structuring a speech, it really depends on what your purpose is, what your facts are, what your, you know, what content you have to deliver. And that's why speaking is something that we can give frameworks for, but not formulas for. And it's so important to have frameworks so that you can move them and manipulate them in ways that allow you to achieve your result but not a formula because then we're going to be trying to fit a circle into a square or a square into a circle. And it's just not going to work. Sometimes it will, but most of the time it's going to fail. Got it. So with this emotion you're triggering, I mean, we all know the mood, the vibe of your audience, how important is telling a story to a public speaker? Storytelling may be the most important part of being a, a speaker. And I think this is where people lose track of what stories mean. Sometimes it doesn't mean that it's like this fairy tale story you're telling. It can just be like a life experience or a quick antidote, or it can be a narrative structure to the way that you deliver your talk where even numbers can tell a story. So there's so many ways to build that up. And that's one of those skill sets that takes a lot of time to develop and a lot of work. And at the end of the day, the reasons why we love storytelling so much is because it allows us to do what I call bragging without bragging and still deliver a lesson or move our audience in some way. Brene Brown does an incredible job of this when she speaks. Barack Obama does an incredible job when, when he was speaking back when he was in the political realm. Like you can just go and find these people who are constantly delivering stories in a way that allow them to brag about themselves. But when you're listening, you're entertained. So you don't feel like it's bragging. And in my world that I come from, whether it was, again, in the trial world, whether it's in fundraising with founders, working with executives, working with marketing teams and communication teams, sales teams, it's competitive storytelling. If you tell the best story about your product, your company, your vision, you win. And if you aren't telling that story and you're just giving very dry numbers and facts and figures and all that sort of stuff, like then you're just essentially 
going on, you hope that you have a little bit better price and maybe that you win for that reason. But most of the time, if you're a good storyteller, you can you can counteract any of those weaknesses that you may have because the best storyteller is the one who wins. I like it. So what are the elements of a great story? So a great story has a number of what I call, you know, ingredients use elements when it comes to these things. So you need to always have build out your characters, build out their relationships. And this is a big flaw people make. I wouldn't just say like, if I was talking to you, I wouldn't say my sister, my sister, my sister, because fun fact, I have two sisters. So you'd have no idea who I'm talking about. So I would need to use their names. I would need to say my sister, Amanda, my sister, Krista. And further than that, you don't know where they kind of fall in, in age range or anything like that. So when I talk about relationships, we want to give them more, more depth, right? So my older sister, Krista, who has, you know, four kids of her own. My younger sister, Amanda, who's married to, you know, my brother-in-law, Russell. These are ways to start distinguishing them and giving them more depth so that they actually come alive in your audience's head. Then we need to build out the environment, right? So normally I'm in Dallas. I wouldn't, you know, right now I'm in New York, New York. So I wouldn't just say, hey, I was in New York. That doesn't give you much, much guidance. I can tell you, hey, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in Williamsburg. All of a sudden it becomes a lot more real. We're getting like more and more narrow, more and more specific. So you can actually understand the environment that I'm talking to you from. So we always want to build those pieces out because that's really setting the stage to allow your audience to envision what's going on. Because at the end of the day, a story needs to be told in a way that allows our audience to see it, feel it, hear it, experience it. Then beyond that, what you need to develop. So once you've hit those three pieces, you want to develop the conflict and conflict doesn't mean it's like a big fight. It can just, it's a a point of tension inside of the story. And you need to create that because otherwise, what's the point of the story? Like, why does anybody care? Nobody cares about a story where just like everything good happens to somebody. Like we hate those stories. In fact, listen to people tell them and you, you want to like vomit or you'll leave and try to be like that person was full of it. So we always want to build conflict into our stories and we want to build resolution or triumph. And that's where we finish, we overcome that, that struggle. And there's some sort of finishing point to the, the story. We want to close that loop. Now, the only distinction comes when maybe you're part of a story that doesn't have a resolution yet. And then what you're essentially trying to give somebody is, hey, hang on because we're getting up to the resolution and you're going to get to come along for the journey. And that's one where I actually think we're trying to resonate so strongly with our audience that we're trying to make them a character in the story where they want to join us on our journey as we continue moving forward. And you see this a lot right now with this kind of build in public movement. And that's very similar to this idea of take somebody along on the journey because you don't have the resolution yet. But so it's kind of five parts, right? Characters, relationships, environment, conflict, and then resolution. So here are the listeners. Stories are critical. Stories pretty much persuade without detection. They get your audience involved. So is there any a downside to telling stories? Is there any negative part to stories? Or are there a few people that don't want to hear them? Or what's the downside? So sometimes you have to be careful not to give too much context. I think that's the biggest problem with stories. People make them way too long and drawn out. Uh, I've worked I've worked with venture capitalists who are having to give pitches to the partners at their firms, and it's they have 30 seconds to do it. They can still tell a story in 30 seconds, but their problem was when they first came to me, they were telling stories in two, three minutes long, and the partners gave them 30 seconds. So in that sense, yeah, that can be a real problem when you're giving way too much context and not getting to the point. But can you always tell a story in a way that resonates with your audience? 100%. Most of the time, if you do it well, they may not even realize you're telling them a story in the way that you deliver it. So I think that it's just really a matter of practice and, and nailing and knowing what your audience is looking for. Are they looking for a long, drawn-out story or are they looking for something super tight? Got it. So as you coach students and other public speakers, what is the biggest uh, verbal or nonverbal thing that, that most people need to get rid of? What would be your biggest complaint? 
So typically my biggest complaint is that people speak too quickly and, and it, it ruins your ability to play with dynamics as a speaker. It most of the time creates where you ramble. It prevents you from self-editing. So you end up saying things that you didn't mean to say. It also generally creates more filler words in people because they essentially get out over their skis and start tumbling down. So that's when you get a lot of the, um, 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 uh, 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 which just sounds horrendous. So if you can slow down and speak at a pace that's more comfortable, that's the, the best way. In fact, there's a very interesting stat. JFK was a extremely fast speaker and generally spoke around 300 words per minute. But the best speaking range is 110 to 140 words per minute. When he gave his inaugural address, he actually slowed it down to 97 words per minute so that it would resonate with his audience. So again, this is this idea of slowing down actually helps your audience to understand your message, to hear you as a better speaker and allows you as the speaker to, again, use more dynamics by slowing down further, speeding up to show that you're in control, demonstrate excitement, slow down to create drama and impact. And then it also allows you to self-edit and remove a lot of those filler words. Uh, well said, well said. So as we look at uh, the future public speakers on the podcast, what's the one thing we missed that you really wanted the audience to know about getting out there speaking and become a better communicator? The biggest thing I want people to to know is that they just need to get out there and do it. Like they have a voice, they need to share it. They have stories, they need to tell them. And silencing yourself because you're afraid is is so harmful and just to really get out there and put in the practice. And there are ways to practice. There's never been a better opportunity out there. You can do things virtually. You can find places that are teaching this. You can take courses. You can work online. There are AI apps that can help you. There's things like Arai and Poise. There's Otter and Descript. There's so many different valuable tools that you can use as a speaker that are super low cost if you don't want to be spending a bunch of money. And then just put in that practice and develop it. Like there has never been a more important time to be a great speaker than right now. And it's just going to continue to grow in its importance. So nail it now, build that skill set now, especially if you want to be a great salesman, especially if you want to be a person that's magnetic when the world opens back up post COVID and you walk into networking events and people come to you and want to hear you speak and you get to build those connections. Like that's the power of, of great speakers. And that's why you need to do it now. So you're prepared. Hey, Robbie, thanks for being here. Where can I, let's just find out more about you. Yeah, Kurt, I love that. So a couple of places. One, you can find me and the, the course I run, which is beyonddeck.com backslash performative dash speaking. You can find me on my personal website where I write www.robbiecrabtree.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Robbie Crab. That's the, the best place to reach me. And of course, anyone can always email me. It's Robbie at beyonddeck.com. Robbie, thanks for being here today. Enjoyed your information. Maximizers, take something you've learned today. Apply it. Use it. I'm telling you, research is showing your upward mobility, your income, your ability to persuade and influence comes down your ability to present yourself and do public speaking. So please let us know what you think. Contact me at Kirk at MaximizeYourInfluence.com or go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's home of Influence University. You can take your free Persuasion IQ assessment. Get the free New edition of Maximum Influence. Just pick up a little shipping and handling and just check out what we are doing. So become more influential, a better negotiator, learn how to motivate others, and go out and persuade with power.